Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Get by Benick. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. Perry! Scoop! Corey Perry! Lilia able to shake away from all right <laughs> what did you say <laughs> i just said something to get you to laugh that's all well we're uh we're back uh, earlier than expected because steven and i can't uh have a night off to ourselves we wanted to record a mailbag episode it's been a while since we did one so we uh canvassed for questions from reddit and facebook and instagram and twitter and we got them from everywhere but twitter so you let us down everybody on twitter Somehow the platform we have the most followers on, we get zero questions from. <laughs> I don't know. What's... It's probably why there's zero questions is because we answer them. Yeah. I answer them yeah. on a regular basis. Yeah. They've all. Uh, we've we've got actually only ten followers. It uh, it's Ill. numbers are inflated. <laughs> that's for sure. DB Lyra in the chat says, "I'm just here for the All Star Game rant. I guess we might as well start with that. We'll get to the we we'll get to the questions later. But um, as uh, everybody has, I'm sure heard." At this point, the All-Star Game rosters have been announced. And I got to pull up the um, the Pacific Division one right now. But obviously it's... Uh, it's, it's McDavid, Dreisaitl, Stone, Petrangelo, uh, Demko, Gibby, Kempe, Eberle, and Timo Meyer. So the NHL didn't even tweet it out from the regular account. Dude, I'm pretty sure I just went. I got. I think you right did. I think you did. You fucking suck because you can't even get the NHL website. To okay, it. here we go. It is Eberly, Demko, Drysaddle, Goodrow, Gibson, Kempe, McDavid, Meyer, oh, fuck, I Petrangelo, Goodrow. and Stone for Team Pacific. Uh, I might as well just read the rest of them off. Team Metro is Aho, Freddie Anderson, Adam Fox, Giroux. Jack Hughes, Yari, Kreider, Ovechkin, Adam Pellick, and Zach Wierenski. Team Central is Kyle Connor, Dabrinkit, Kaprizov, Keller, Kiru, McKinnon, Makar, Pavelski, Saros, and Talbot. And then Team Atlantic is Drake Batherson, Bergeron, Jack Campbell, Dalene, Hedman, Huberto, Larkin, Matthews, Suzuki, 
and Vasilevsky. And as per, and this is where I get the my issue with things, every team has one all-star, as we have come to expect at this point in time. Um, mm-hmm. I, I mean, listen, I get it. I understand why. You're, you want the most viewers you possibly can on one of your highest marketed events. So how do you do that? You get at least one player from every team to come out to the event. So you have a reason to watch your guy. Completely get it. The Ducks have been bad for the last three or four years. And have we deserved to have an all-star at those games? Probably not. Um, so I understand it. Like my, my issue with it is... If it's the All-Star game and you want to call it the All-Star game, and what the All-Star game used to be is it was the best players at that time came to the game, and it didn't matter regardless of team. It was just the best however many players at the time would get invited out, and that was it. And I'm sure at the time, too, back then, there there was some marketing that went on, and it was, you know, if there was a really high-profile player and a shitty team, he'd probably still get the invite if he was playing well enough. But you look at this and, and guys like Troy Terry aren't going because we have to bring Eberly. You've got Nazem Kadri not going because we've got to bring guys like Clayton Keller. And Kadri's fourth in league scoring right now. Terry, top five in, in goal scoring. Those are two guys mm-hmm. that, that kind of jump off. You know, Nick Suzuki's a great player, but I, I think in the Atlantic there's several other players you could probably bring over Nick Suzuki. And, and you know, again, the Islanders, Adam Pellick going is kind of just we need to bring an Islanders player, and we're gonna bring we're gonna bring this guy, I guess. Uh, and definitely in the Metro, there is some other names you could probably bring there too. I mean, just look at the last men in. I think there's about four or five guys on each list, uh, depending on how many teams are are in that division, and. I would say you could probably pick one or two guys off each list who probably belong there over one of the guys that got picked. And that's just the way it is. Like, I get it. It's marketing. But I I really think if you're going to do that, you got to change the name. And I know you can't do that. I know that's petty of me to say change that. Change the name. But, like, I, I just – I want the best players there of that year. I think you, it should be something that players – like, why do you think guys like Ovi uh, – have an injury and they can't play. I, I he did that what last year and the year before. Malkin's done that before. Something Sid's like done that, that yeah. before. Like it just doesn't mean as much as it used to anymore because it's like yes the the best players some most of the best players do go but a lot of guys get left off because of this rule to bring one guy from every team and that that's the issue I get. It's like the players just don't care as much anymore. It doesn't mean as much as it used to to be an all star because. You know, I, everybody kind of gets one guy going, right? So some guys are going to miss out. And it, it sucks when you see guys that just don't want to go anymore or don't care about it. I, so, like, here's the thing about the All-Star Game conversation to me, right? It's like I feel like it has different subsets that define how I feel about it, right? I love all-star games. I think they're fucking awesome. I think they're such a fun idea. I think they're so much fun. I think getting to see players play with each other that you never normally get to see is super cool. It's like a, a, a it's like a shot of the Olympics, right? It's these best-on-best kind of concept and all this kind of stuff. And you make a big deal out of it. You put it on TV. Everybody gets to watch. You get real excited. Here's the thing. That's not what the NHL all-star game is. And so I have stopped expecting it to be something that it's not. And for me, you know, like we hear it every year around this time, right? When they just talk about what it is and it's for the corporate sponsors. It's, it's for, 
it's not for the fans like for the fans of whatever city it's in yeah i've heard the like on the ground experience is incredible but like the tv part of it like they don't you know what i mean like the first day is on nhl network like how is that not on, like fuck even like an espn2 or something like that right like that would be so much better so for me just because like they put Colin Campbell in charge of it. Colin Campbell was the guy who got to decide what the rosters were, right? Because like DB Lowry mentioned in the chat that get rid of the fan vote. The fan vote didn't mess anything up. The fan votes are perfectly fine. Yep. The captains are Ovi, McDavid, uh McKinnon. Uh yes, I believe so. And who's the other one? Oh man. In the would have been the Atlantic, I guess. Barkov? Is that I, I gotta pull it up now, but that well, the the fan vote used to be you could vote like at, at one <laughs> so, point for a couple of years, right? It was like you could vote for the entire team, was it not? That was it was that way for a long time, dude. Oh, it's I, Matthews. Sorry, it's Matthews. 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 Ovi, oh, duh. McKinnon and um, McDavid. McDavid, which makes sense. Yeah, I mean, see, those are literally the fan fine. The, probably the four best the fan, players in the league. Yeah. So. That's that's the thing, right? The because like that used to be like when I was a kid, one of my favorite games to go to for baseball and for hockey was you would go to the games right around the All Stars or like leading into it when they were tallying the votes, and they had these paper things that you would like pick which player at each position from every division and all this stuff, and it fucking rocked. But they got rid of it after. Uh, the John Scott thing, they changed it to just having the captains and then they get to pick who goes. And like, part of me understands that, right? Because they don't want to get embarrassed like that before. But like, you know, I don't think it's fair to say that the fan vote is what's messing it up. I think it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's marketing and money that, uh, that comes yeah, into and the, the NHL the just like punted on it. Right. So that's why for me, like it is what it is. So as far as having a player from every team, I understand the thought behind it as far as, like, if your team sucks and you don't have any favorite, like, if you don't have anybody good, like, well, then... If you want to sell jerseys, like, right? Like, who who's like, going to buy... I, I like, if you're a Seattle Kraken fan and none of their players deserve to go to the All-Star game, as an example, and the NHL likes to now release these individual team All-Star jerseys to make as much money as they possibly can... Um, and they're basically like fourth jerseys, right? That you can buy as like a different mock-up for your team. You're not going to buy one for another team, right? So you're going to buy the Everly one because he's on your team and you want Mm -hmm. this new looking Kraken jersey. If you're the, you know, if you're, uh, Montreal, like you're going to want the cool looking all-star version Suzuki jersey, right? If you're going to buy the Montreal Canadiens one. So like, I get why they they do it. I understand they want everybody to watch it as possible. And that's what I was going to say. Even if you don't want to be that cynical, which you have, you're right that, you know, the, the Jersey aspect of it, but also like, again, like just trying to get as many people to watch it as possible and having it, the whole league united in one place. That's fucking cool to me. And especially with it broken down by division and with it being three on three, like there's one fucking defenseman from the Pacific. One. (laughs) You can find a guy. The games don't matter when you do that. On every team to bring. Like there is going to be a guy. Some teams, you know, it might be a goalie or whatever. Some teams it might be a defenseman. Other teams it just might be, um, you know, just a player balling out on a garbage team. Like, 
whatever that that happens who gives a shit or shit from the arizona bring phil kessel who cares everybody loves phil kessel it's fine um you know i just think it it does more good than bad because i think it's fun to have someone from every team there and i think in a sport like hockey you can afford to do it you know like in the nba it's 12 man rosters so just the math they can't do the all-star game one from every team and like as we saw but don't, like out know, of every all-star like game or... don't, don't you think the nba does it probably the best out of everybody in terms of getting the best players there still getting your marketable superstars and then they do like the young stars game right where they get all the best young players you, out to do you know the th- here's the thing that i think that they get right is the all-star game is an event yeah. Like, it's, like, older players that aren't in the game come to watch younger players in the games. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you – there is they, – They've built you know, up, like, like, three or four staple competitions that everybody loves and looks forward to over the yeah, years. the slam dunk contest Three-point contest. They've, they've been able to make that fun and add different aspects to that. And mm-hmm. then routinely, like, I know players opt out and – and some of them, like LeBron, doesn't want to do the dunk contest, but they get the right guys for those competitions too, right? There's just like an actual thought process behind the competitions and the All Star Game and the way they pick the players for events and who they bring. That they like, they understand how to make it an event. The NHL is not there, and every year we're like force fed some new event that we hope. Like, remember the way they flipped the puck through those like. Cir- like standing circles like two years ago like, yeah every year there's a new event like that where like we don't i just i don't think anybody wants that like get the the regular events we don't need the marathon events where like you know first guy's got a uh, stick handle through a bunch of pucks and some guy's got to pass into these like little jars and the other guy's got to do an accuracy competition at the other end and somebody's got to score from the red line like there are staple events that we've done the hardest slap the hardest shot competition everybody loves that one the the accuracy challenge that everybody loves that one the, the you know some version of the like breakaway skills competition where guys mm-hmm. can show off their you know their creativity they you know there there's five maybe five to six event, events at max that you should nail down what are our most popular events put them together we're going to do these ones every year we're going to pick the right guys for this we're going to pick the best players to come out we're going to have the best on best we're going to play you know five on five would be preferable for the all-star game i get why they don't want to do that Mm because they don't want guys to get injured but like there's just so many ways that they could handle it somebody needs to sit down at the nhl and revamp this and say like listen we're going to make a plan here and this is how the all-star game is going to be run for the next 10 years and we're going to stick right. to it. I mean, look, right? Like, you know, like the slam dunk contest is an event. The other thing that the NBA does get right for sure is the competitions are not attached to the all-star yep. game. Like you don't have to be in the game to make the competitions. Now there are some players who won't compete unless they make the team. Um, but it's not they go out and get anybody like shannon brown never made an all-star game he was in i think a couple of dunk contests you know what i mean because he was just insane like so you know i think that's a big part of it the other thing that they do is they have the rookie sophomore game which rocks the nhl could maybe do something like that because if you have like some version of that then 
Trevor Zegers is there. Trevor Zegers is playing. Even if it's not in the main game, there's still something that you can put on TV and everybody can go watch him. You can go watch him and you can watch him with, you know, uh, these other guys. Who's like, going for Detroit right now at the All-Star game? Uh, so if you're Detroit, if you're a Detroit fan, who would you rather see at the All-Star game? Raymond, Sider, or Larkin? I think you, you're happy Larkin, Larkin's going, but I think a lot of them would like to see Raymond or Sider, and you're tuning in for that. I think you can have the best of both worlds, If you, and same if you're a Ducks fan. Are like you going to tune in more to see Gabriel? Are you going to tune in more to see Zegers if he's there? I don't think that should be the decision based on who goes to the game, and we're talking about picking the best, but there's a way to get... like What I'm trying to... to like Long story short here to say is most pl- fans are going to be... Uh, tune in for their young stars to be on display. And I think you could do that with a, a Young Guns rookie game or competition with the rookies. Now, that extends the time. The, the, I know they only have two days to do this, right? But I feel like there is a whole day aspect you could put together where you could do something like that, where you get the best young players from each team and put them together for some sort of game mm-hmm. or skills competition or something like that. Yeah, I mean, the other thing, right, the NBA has is the celebrity game. And, like, as much as it's not much of a thing, like, you know, not a lot of people watch it as far as, like, relative ratings. It's still a thing that happens. You get funny moments. You get to run the highlight packages and stuff like that. Like, that's harder for the NHL to do. But tell me why it wouldn't be easier and much more fun to just do, like, street hockey where everybody's standing there. Like, that to me would be a blast if they did, you know, street ball hockey with celebrities and shit like that. Because then, you know, you have the fun part of it, which is people who don't know what the fuck they're doing playing. But then you also get to, like, sprinkle in, like, retired guys and all that kind of stuff. Like, it's just, I think that could be a lot of fun. And I think it, it solves the problem, which is the skating. But it also highlights how incredible it actually makes the NHL players because they can do all this shit while skating, which is not easy to do. Um, you know, I, the three VC, the, the three on three part of it, like I like, because it makes the game open and a little bit more skill dependent. It kind of forces them to play a little bit harder, but like, you know, uh, a big part of this is like, it's on the players. Like the players have to fucking have some, some initiative and some care. Like if they don't care about this game, it's never going to matter. It was hand in hand though, right? They like need... if you're not really given a reason wait, to care, wait. if anybody can come and it's not necessarily no. have to be the best player, like that invite doesn't mean as much. But that doesn't, no, yes, it does. Yes, yes, it, it still should mean something. Like that's fucking stupid to me. That it's like, well, I'm not going to be excited about. Like, we are finally having interesting hockey players. You know what I mean? Like, we've had, uh, what do you call it? Like, Jack Hughes just did an interview where he said everyone was mean to him because he's so pretty. And I love it. I, I love it so I much. It's, got, it's, it, it's <laughs> awesome, dude. Uh, but you've got Zegers and Raymond and Cider, and you've got all these guys, like, you know, you could do like an East-West ELC contract. Basically, anybody still on their ELC can play in this game because I think it's almost impossible to do a rookie-sophomore game with the way guys bounce up and yeah. down and stuff like that. But like, you know, uh, the players have to have, like, they have to put something in. They have to invest themselves. They have to be entertaining. They have to be engaging. Like, the most interesting thing about Sidney Crosby is that he likes Crown Royal. That's it. Like, nobody gives yeah, a shit. Uh, 
you know what it's I mean? The last of hopefully and, a dying breed of just boring guys. <laughs> you know, Connor McDavid, we don't even need to go into the whole Andrew Kane thing, but like Connor McDavid fucking blows. He's just so uninteresting. And that's fine if that's how he wants to be. Like, I, I you know what I mean? Like, his job is not to, like, make me like him as far as, like, being a person. But, like, that's a problem that the most exciting player we've seen in a while has no interest in being exciting anywhere other than the 25 minutes a game. I think, I think like, like the players sucks. in the league have to work hand-in-hand hand in making this game exciting. You can't have one yeah. one side trying and one side not trying to make it an event that anybody wants to tune into. I don't think anybody's trying right now, but... No, that's yeah. what I'm saying. Like, I, I, I think that there is a, a significant amount of, of work to be done on the NHL side as far as the presentation of it, the packaging of it, the, the construction of it, who you're bringing in, the stuff that, you know, you're having people do. But the other half of that is then when it becomes about the games, the players have to show up. And if what it takes is a big fat purse, right, you guys are playing for money. Like, okay, that's fine. I don't have a problem with that. You know, like, I'm fine with paying them to go. Like, yeah, it's, you know, kind of free work, basically, if they're not getting paid. Like, I have no problem with that, with there being a big purse at the end of the road. Like, whatever division wins, like, yeah, you split the purse. Like, that's fine with me. But, like, they have to make it fun. They have to make it interesting. Here's my question to you. One of my favorite memories, and this isn't even, this is a memory of seeing a clip. I didn't, like, see this live. Owen Nolan pointing at the goal where he was going to shoot and then nailing it is one of the all-time great memories. There's nobody in this fucking league right now that's going to do that. Nobody. Yeah, I mean, we've we've and had that, our, that our moments kind of like that in, in a sense. Like, guys throw some flair and creativity in the three-on-three, but I feel like the three-on-three is just so... It's like guys are just trying not to get hurt out there, and you can kind of see it in the way the game is played. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I understand why the NHL switched to the three on three, and what they thought they were gonna get was what we see in a three on three overtime game is end to end action, and guys are trying and whatever. But what you really get right. is guys going and just really kind of half assing it out there, and occasionally you'll get some effort, but there is there's no defending, there's no. You know, there's no effort to really not allow the guys to score the amount of breakaways you get, whatever. Like I and I sure like, like every now and then that's fun and you want to see a guy getting a breakaway and just try something ridiculous and if it pans out it doesn't. Like you see that in, in the, the NBA All Star game as well, where mm-hmm. you know, they, they kinda give a guy space to try something ridiculous or, you know, throw an alley oop yeah, off the glass. Absolutely. Uh, there, there, you can have your mix of that, but you also have to have a mix of, of a game that matters at some point. And you know, we've we've 100%. seen them implement you know the prize money to help to help that out. You know, um, the MLB has the fact that if you win the All Star game, you get home field, which is stupid, but you get home field advantage. It's the dumbest thing. I think they ended that though. Last they might season, have, yeah. But before. like, they, you know, they're they different leagues have implemented different ways but to, I get what you're saying, to yeah. try and make the games matter because it is hard for these guys. Like, you know, it's supposed to be fun, but you also want the game to be competitive. You know, long story short with a lot of this, like my, one of my main things that I hate about the way the all-star game has come now is just some of the guys that should be there that don't get to go. And whether that means you can, you need to expand the rosters 
I think there's a way you can comfortably have make sure like the best and the best this year deserve to go get to go and still have every one guy from every team and have a mix. I think there's a way to do both and the NHL can figure that out and whether it is like what the NBA does so, where you have certain guys you pick for some of the competitions that necessarily aren't playing in the All-Star game. But I would say right. you know just because you don't want Colorado to have four guys there. That doesn't mean Nazem Kadri, who's fourth in league scoring, and Rontanen, who's seventh in league scoring, shouldn't be there. That doesn't mean you know Troy Terry, who's top five in in goal scoring, shouldn't be there. Right. Like I think if you go down the list, like you know Nylander, J.T. Miller, like those are I'm fine with those guys being like last men in because you're looking at guys now in like twenty to thirty to forty fortieth in league scoring rank. But we're talking about guys like. One guy in the top five and another guy in the top ten who aren't there because you've got you have to have guys from the bottom teams in the mm-hmm. central going. Like there's there's gotta be some way other than a last man in to say, okay, these guys have to be there. Expand the rosters by two on each division and you you should at that point cover the majority of the guys going. Uh, yeah, no, I think I think I, I think that's fair. Like, you know, I wonder if like maybe the best way to do it is to make the whole starting lineup. Or just scrap the Fan divisions. Vote? Like, let's not even... Who cares about the divisions or no, whatever anymore? Can't. Like, well, you know, one of my favorite things from the All-Star game, and I, I feel like the players scrapped this because Phil Kessel, like, was traumatized that he was picked last. <laughs> I loved when you could have the players picking guys to, to make their teams. Dude, like, that was... Yeah. The NBA turns into a whole event, and they literally... People tune in to watch LeBron and... Steph Curry like pick guys to be on their team. Rock. And the last two guys were both uh guys on the Jazz. Yeah, and I like you know so what? Much. Like it it stings and like, you know, Castle was uncomfortable clearly, but it, they'll get over it. They're professional athletes. They've been picked last at some point in their life and you're at an All-Star game to to say the least. Like I just think it's fun to I see think... guys potentially play with each other that you wouldn't normally see play with each other. Where now we're mm-hmm. just getting interdivision and we're seeing guys that play well, plus... against and with each other all the time. Like I like when we mix it up and you have some guys from the east and west play each other and they got to pick their teams. And now there's like this sense of okay, like we picked our teams. Like I want my team to win type thing where unless it's a we're just right. thrown together and you're the central and you're the Pacific, like Oh, now I'm I'm battling to my division to be a champion. Like it's uh... no, that's totally fair. I look, I would love that. That would rock because you know, especially with things like uh, trades or free agency where guys change teams and all of a sudden, right? You like, oh, um, you know, so and so's captain, and I wonder if they'll be able to pick their guy to like join their team or whatever, right? And you're like, all right, cool. It's like I, I don't, I don't. I don't mind that, right? Like, I, I, I suppose <clears throat> if it is something, like, if it gets the effort level up, I guess you could convince me to drop the every team thing if it me- meant the players were going to care. But, like, at the same time, like, they should care anyways. Yeah. Because. I agree. They, you know, the, these are, you know, what is it? T- fucking 20... 25, I don't know, but a bunch of guys, and they're all splitting, you know, $81 million right now, when it, if they would just be a little bit more interesting, if they would be so much, just a little bit more willing to, like, just engage with fans in a way that isn't just so fucking weak, like, you know. I think there's a way to I keep think... the 
every player from every team. Because, like, listen, I, I, I think it's dumb when you leave guys off. I understand why they have it, and I'm fine having it if guys that should be going go. Because I, like, I, I get it. Like, I understand you're not gonna. Some people are not gonna watch it if their guy's not there. If a guy from their team isn't there, so I understand doing that. I think you can have the best of both worlds where you have one guy from every team to still appease to those fans. Cause we can't sit here and say, Oh, just because I'm a fan of a certain thing that they shouldn't do this because you know, it's dumb. Well, no, there's people who are literally going to tune in because Eberly's there or because Suzuki is there or whatever. So like, I get it. I... No, a hundred percent. Right. Yeah. By the way, let's a hundred percent shun Montreal. That's going to go well. <laughs> yeah. That won't, uh, that won't pan out well, but like, I think there's a way to do both where you get, make sure the best players go no, I think that's and fair. you still get one guy from every team and you expand the rosters. Maybe you go back to five on five or you do you do a thing where some guys only compete in the skills competition and not the all-star oh. game and there's ways to do it and whether the nhl is actually cares enough to put enough effort into this to make it watchable who that that's another question on its own that's yeah. fair that's a that's totally fair there is there is you know like i, I like i do think you know there's blame on everybody involved but I, I do think that it's fair to say the NHL like kind of almost goes out of their way to make this less fun. Yeah. It's um, a sponsorship you know, marketing push is what it feels like now. Everything everything is the thing. Named. It's not even a marketing push. It's just it's a sponsorship yeah. thing, right? That's what it is. It's to get all these fucking executives from all these big companies out one place, get them liquored up. Oh my god, I met Joe Pavelski. Yeah, that rocks. I get it. But like there's no reason that shouldn't that, that, that There's a way to do it where it's not compatible with. Let's make sure that this is an event yeah. that people want to be here or that people want to watch. You know, there's I mean? a way to do it it's where it's not gross, where it's not like obviously for the sponsors. You know what I mean? Like every right. event is gonna have a sponsor. Every division, I, is, like, it, it's gonna happen. Totally but like you watch the Sprite dunk contest, and you're like, God, man, Sprite is just like I can't believe this. But you watch some of like the sponsored events for the NHL, like when they named they they sponsored the divisions and stuff like that. Like, and it just feels like gross. You're just like, mm, I don't like this. I, yeah, I I get it. It sucks, but like I don't. Uh, to me, that's the part that I I could care less about. Like you can you can have it be the you know the tide pod first period puck uh, yeah that's fine let's go like i don't give a shit let's just get this to a point where everybody cares and people are actually invested in making this i think that veteran players have a right to opt out i think you know that it's more than fair so like the other thing i saw like rachel dory said something on twitter that like we shouldn't use all-star games in hall of fame discussions given how unseriously it feels like the NHL takes that. And I get that point. The only thing I would say against that is the guys, like when it matters, you say four times, five time all-star. The guys who are going four and five times in their career are not fringe guys. Right. Jacob Silverberg making it. If he would have been able to go because, uh, you know, his wife wasn't having a baby. Right. Nobody's going to be like, Oh, well he made an all-star game. So he's, you know, she should be in the Hall of Fame conversation. He's like, no, no, he got to go one year, and I was dog shit. He was good, and so that's what they did. And you're like, okay, cool, but like, that's not the same thing as like four time All Star. Like, 
Or a game, uh, not a game, uh, Alexander Ovechkin, eight-time All-Star from Alexander Ovechkin. Yeah, yeah, that, that sounds right to me. That's the name that should matters, be right? ten-time All-Star, but he skipped two of them. <laughs> it, it should probably be fifteen-time yeah. All-Star. Like, he's incredible. But, you know, guys aren't going to go every year. And Mike Green, John Carlson, Nicholas Backstrom, there were legitimate players that probably went some of those years for them. Which rocks. They deserve to be there. Like, you're telling me Mike Green, when he's in the middle of, like, 20 goal seasons on the blue line, doesn't, shouldn't be there? Like, I love that. So, yeah, I I think, I guess the place to end on this, ultimately, the whole reason we're here, is there are parts of it that are bad. There are parts of it that are imperfect. For me, I am not going to get worked up about some of this stuff while the NHL shows such a clear disinterest. And I would care more that Terry got snubbed or Zegers got snubbed if, like, it meant something to go to the games. And the players in the NHL both have a responsibility in making that the case. So when that's the case, then I'll care more. You know what I mean? But, like, for now, like, I fucking love Gibson, dude. I'm so happy he's going to go. I am so happy to be like, I get to watch John Gibson just get beat. Are you gonna watch? Are you gonna watch? I don't know. Probably because I'm an idiot. I like uh, for me. It, it, it used to be like must watch. I don't say it doesn't now because I still like to tune in. I like the the skills competition. I like to see you're what not, happens. But it, you're not 14 anymore, right? Though, right? Yeah, but it, it's almost like that's part of it. It's it's in the background now. You know what I mean? Like I watch and it's on, and I'm like, oh, okay, like the, I'm having this on, but I'm I'm doing <laughs> I'm doing other stuff at the same time. And but yeah, you're right. Like right. you know, the one I watched it heavily, I was a kid, right? And that's again, kind of in a sense, who it's for, and why they cater some of these events to. But yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of effort that could go into it, and we could probably talk forever on it. But this is a hundred percent. Honestly, at this point, I'm not convinced that we shouldn't do a Patreon episode of Let's Fix the All Star Game. Yeah, I mean, hey, like. I mean, we may have just done it for 40 minutes anyway. We'll but. send it off to the NHL for uh-huh. them to never watch it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well. Give us our five bucks. The pass. other it's... half of this show uh, is the mailbag episode that we promised, and we got a, a bunch of questions in. Some of them will, I, I mean, they're probably about a couple minutes of a discussion. I can't imagine so, uh, a lot of them will take super long, uh, but we have some, some good questions here as well that we will uh, dive into a little bit deeper um, I'm sure could we, I think we've got about 12 questions, uh, maybe a little bit more or less, but we'll get right into it here. First question we had was from Prof Professor Berg on Reddit. Some of these names are just going to be wild. Just uh, a heads up. Uh, any trade talks the Ducks have been involved in? I like the only one I can think of off the top of my head recently has been Jacob Chikrin, right? Like yeah. that, that we've uh, like been I mean, linked to. They were in the Eichel trade. We found out right where they kind of drew their line. But they were in that. Um, we have Chikrin right now. And I'm trying to see. I don't think they've been linked with anybody. They're... Well, like, there just hasn't been a lot of rumors, right? Like, there hasn't. Yeah. Like, the, you know, obviously there's been talk about Hurdle and, and other players. The Ducks haven't been linked with those guys. But there's it's not a foregone conclusion they're going to get moved and neither is Jacob Chikrin but I think like in terms of the Ducks actually been mentioned having been interested in a player I think right now it's only Chikrin that's been reported which is I mean it's not bad like that's the best player you can go out and get right now so I'd rather be linked to 
to Jacob Chikrin than, you know, a third line winger at, at this point. Like that, if you want the Ducks to be sniffing around trade trade discussions and players, you want it to be Eichel and Chikrin, not, you know, I'm trying to think of a, a, a bum player right now and I can't. That would be on the move. But, uh, you know, the, the Nick DeLores and the Derek Grants of the world, you want, uh, you want them to be involved in those young players and, the, the guys that uh, could be a core part of this team moving forward. Those are the deals the Ducks should be exploring anyway. I know we've talked a little bit about uh, them potentially adding some under pending UFAs and going for it this year and, and trying to be competitive in the playoffs. But Man, that looks like a worse and worse decision by the day. Eh? <laughs> yeah. yeah, when you watch games like the uh, against Pittsburgh, who are a clear contender in the way they, they showed up for that game, I know they're still a little bit shorthanded, but it, it makes it less of a, a thing you want to do, right? Like you kind of start to see like, yeah, they're good. They're better than they were last year. They probably will make the playoffs because this division isn't that great, but there's a clear gap still between the top tier teams mm-hmm. in this league, the, the Stanley cup contenders and the yeah. ducks. Yeah. I, I was going to say, you know, what's interesting is I would say the majority of trade talk around the ducks has really been about three RFAs and what they're going to do, right? Uh, especially with the surprise start, that's kind of where the Ducks enter into the conversation is, you know, are they going to hold on to their own guys? Are they going to try to move their own guys? Are they going to try to move those guys out and bring in other guys, right? Like, you know, all that kind of stuff. But it, it kind of it revolves around um, the three UFAs. And that's really, you know, I, I think – says a lot is even with that start that they had and then you know showing that they can at least be competitive in this division in a way that has them in the playoff picture like there still hasn't been any like addition talks other than a 24 year old defenseman on a great contract which like yeah okay perfect that's the guy you're adding he fits in with the rest of the group no big deal you know what i mean like you could see them wanting to trade for that player even if they weren't having this kind of year that's the kind of player they would be looking to add. So, you know, I, I think that's kind of what it is. I think over the course of, you know, the end, uh, the rest of January and then into early February, we're going to get a much better idea. And we're going to start hearing about those conversations more and more. And, you know, if the Ducks keep up as it is, they're probably going to end up being sellers. Yeah. It's going to get, I think it's going to pick up on, on both sides of things, right? Like it's going to pick up where, uh, they're going to be interested in some players and they're going to be linked to acquiring players like Chikrin and potentially some, you know, pending UFAs and other guys like that. And then obviously the the trade discussions are going to come um, on the selling side of things, the Raquel's, the Lindholm's, the Manson's, guys like that who are going to potentially be on their way out the door. So I, I think, you know, we'll see a mix of both, like just because of where the Ducks are right now. They are contenders for a playoff spot. And, you know, depending on who they play in round one, there's a decent chance they could actually get past round one if they're playing a Calgary or an Edmonton. I I would give the Ducks decent odds in a seven-game series against those teams unless you're, you know, going up against a Vegas or one of the central teams. So there is a good chance for them to to do well and, and make a case for, you know, not going for it and buying some of the most expensive pending UFAs, but moving on from your, you know, your Raquel's and your Manson's guys that you're not going to resign that you can get value for and maybe 
bringing in a few like complementary pieces or, or you know replacement level players that you can slot in so you're not completely selling i think they're they're going to be in that kind of interesting mix so uh, i mean finally trade deadline might be might be interesting for us as as is always most of the news probably happens a week before trade deadline but uh I, I hope uh, we'll have some interesting news to talk about for our trade deadline live stream because they've been they've been pretty rough the last couple of years. Yeah, it's funny. I think you know it's so funny, right? Because you think of Anaheim as ever being uh, a team that's like involved in all those things, but I think Bob Murray had a streak of like he made a deal at the deadline like every year for like seven or eight years, if not more. You know what I mean? The problem was is he wasn't making the bigger deals most of the time. And now with Mike Solomon being, you know, uh, the interim GM, but also kind of auditioning for the job at the same time, like I wonder if he's going to be motivated or inclined to do anything drastic or if he might just try to hold course for a little bit. I think um, he's in an interesting spot and it's kind of unfortunate that he's in an uncertain spot while the team is in like a weird middling spot. So it'll be curious to see what they're doing. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, it, it's a whole new approach, right? With Solomon and, and, and not Murray. Like we're so used to going into a trade deadline with, with Bob Murray and expecting nothing and some small hockey deals and, and whatnot. So it's like the first time we, we can kind of be optimistic that there might be more this year with a, a new man behind the, you know, behind the reins for the Ducks and, and a lot of important decisions to be made. So, um, you know, to, to kind of loop back around to the question, I, I would say, yeah, Chikrin right now, but that's definitely going to change on both sides of the spectrum once we get closer to the trade deadline. Um, all right, next question. This one's interesting. Um, I, I never really thought of it, but Wild Echo says, what does the Ducks fan base now think of George Peros? I'm assuming this is now because he is the – uh, what what is his title again? He's the director of NHL player uh, safety, or he's the director of NHL player, yeah, director of player safety. Okay, so I mean, like, obviously he's or head of the department of player safety. That yeah, there you he's go. Yeah. The guy. yeah, and um, like fan favorite when he was here, and even you know since retirement and everything, and now for you Dude, personally, I have a Paros jersey. Yeah, has that has it has his reign as the uh, the head of player safety changed anything? For you, in your not opinion. really, not really at yeah. all. Like I, I don't. It doesn't bother me. Like it's a job. I, again, like, well, I, like, I get that there are have been inconsistencies and stuff like that. Like, I get why people are upset, but like, the NHL set the system up to be this way. Yeah. Like this is what they, and he's just the guy that's there doing it. You know. He's obviously has agency. I'm not saying, you know, he's like a soft puppet. Like, he's a very smart guy. Um, you know, I, I – but, but yeah, like – Like Shane know, said, he's kind of like a figurehead, right? One, like, he's essentially just yeah, the guy. Yeah, he's, he's a lightning rod. You know, and, like, we know that there are, like, lifers in that department, and they're part of, like, a committee, and, like, they do have a, a longer discussion about these things with more people. But, like, no, my opinion of it hasn't changed. Like, I don't – care like yeah i love fucking george paris man he's like one of my favorite players like again like i have a george paris jersey so like i'm not i'm not tripping on it i get why some people might be but i would imagine 
most fans probably are more like me than not. Yeah, I mean, like, has your opinion of Chris Unless Pronger changed when Chris Pronger was the head of Department of Player Safety? Like, no. Everybody still loves Chris Pronger for what he right. did as a Ducks jersey. I don't think anything, I mean, to some extent, I don't think anything that a player does after their time with your team and why you're, you know, why they were a favorite when they were with your team should affect your likability of them and your memories of them when they were a part of your team and why you like them. Like, right. you like George Pales because of what he did for the Ducks. You like Chris Pronger for yeah. what he did with the Ducks, not for what they did after, what they did before. You like them for their time with your team. So whatever they do mm-hmm. after their retirement, whatever position they go into, like Chris Pronger goes in and, you know, every, anybody who goes in that position is going to be labeled as doing a shitty job just because it's yeah. a broken system. So it doesn't, you know, that doesn't matter to me, but I don't know, like Chris Pronger could go and be the GM of the Kings and win them a Stanley Cup and I still wouldn't hate him. Like you, you no. like him for what he did for your team. It doesn't mean that they can't go out and do other things just because they do a shitty job of that, <laughs> that you don't like them anymore. There are some obviously exceptions of, of things they could do in their personal life that would probably change your opinion of them. Uh, but sure. but uh, Peros and, and like, let, thankfully Peros and Pronger haven't, uh, haven't gotten to that point yet. So. <laughs> Any Evander Kane level. <laughs> Jesus, I don't even. Yeah, so uh, no, my uh, my, I don't, I don't know what the the Ducks fan base as a whole thinks of George Perros to to answer the question that way. But I, I mean, personally, you and me, it doesn't change how I think of George Perros. You have to, yeah, have to do a little bit more. Than I mean, that. I think if if anything, it would be the cog suspension would be the reason people are mad at. Yeah, him. that's what Brett mentioned in the uh, yeah in the chat. He he, screwed, he ruined Cog's uh, streak, Iron Man streak. So. That's on him. But again, I, I, I feel mean, like he's I, just I a figurehead there, right? Portion of the population that's salty with him over that for sure. Well, yeah, I mean, Ducks fans were salty at Paul Korea for leaving, right? So they're obviously gonna there's, there's gonna be good reason to. Well, yeah, as we know, sports fans are an inherently <laughs> rational bunch of people. So and now now everything's fine. So give us some time. Once uh, George Perros eventually leaves that position and isn't making these decisions, I'm sure everybody will come full circle on him and his time with the Ducks. Uh, next question is from Advanced Bid about Dostal. How good do you guys think Dostal can be and how much of an NHL tr- track record do you need to see before the Ducks start to think about the future with I think we meant without John Gibson. Oh, first part of that question, how good do you think Lucas Dostal can be? We finally seen the NHL debut, 33 saves on six, 36 shots against a shootout win against the Detroit Red Wings. The one thing I will say before I pass it to you that I noticed about him, just positionally as sound as any goaltender I've seen making their NHL debut. Like, reads plays exceptionally well in the right position. He's a bit smaller than I like I thought he was. 6'2", by the he, way. The, he's not small, but he just looks... He's, like, he's a crouched-over stance. He looks a lot smaller than he is. But I, I thought it was a great debut. I think he's going to be a really good goaltender in the NHL. It's a lot harder for me to project goaltenders than it is, you know, defensemen and forwards. Like, I'm just not as tuned in to, you know, what makes a good goaltender a good goaltender as much as, like, a player or a forward or a defender. But he just looks like he's got all the makings to be a good NHL netminder. And I, I love having... There's just something about European netminders, right? Like, they're just... They yeah. just always seem to be better. <laughs> I don't know. Well, it's because goalies are weird, and Europeans are and weird, so, so that's fine. <laughs> it's just like delightful for us because it's just like confluence of events. Um, you know, I, I like yeah. I, I don't. 
I can only kind of speak on, you know, kind of what I've read, what other people have said, the little bit we've seen. Like, it seems like the can part is a top 10 goalie in the league. Uh, that that seems like he can be that good. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how good, obviously, I don't mean to dig it, but I don't know how good he will be, but I think... Uh, I would expect at this point for him to be a starting goalie for more than one season at some point somewhere. Yep. Yep. I, I, yeah. I think so. Like, uh, I, I mean, in terms of the, we can kind of get into the second part of the question here. How much of an NHL track record do you think you need to see from Dostal before we think about moving on from John Gibson? Uh, like it, it'd be the same as, you know, from Hiller to Freddie and from Freddie to Gibson. Like you're just going to need to see like, you know, a, a decent slot in the backup role for a little bit from him and then eventually moving into potentially a split start role and then taking over the job. And, like, he's just going to have to to win that position. It's such a, a unique position because there's only one guy out there that you basically have to win the job from the other guy, and you're going to have to see that over a prolonged period of time. He's just going to have to win more starts based on his play. It's the only way that he's going to take over the starting job unless the Ducks move John Gibson or he asks for a trade and you have to trade him, then you kind of get thrust into that starting position, which I think is is the worst way to do that. Like, I, I don't think it's the best thing to thrust a young goaltender into a starting position to see Philadelphia and Carter Hart right now. It's not the best thing to do to just throw this guy to the, you know, to the Wolves at mm-hmm. 20, 21, 22 years old. Uh, I think there's something to be said about earning that spot. I mean, look at UC Soros in, in Nashville. He had to earn that uh-huh. spot from Rene. Backup for the last three seasons, good numbers, but it's Rene. You know, he's making this much. He's the starter. And then Rene retires, and he's ready to go. So I was just ready to be the starter. He's done all the time he needs to, to kind of grind away to get to that spot. I think the same thing can be said of, of what you would want to see from Lucas Dostal to get there. You know, a couple of seasons uh, as a backup or you know a one B before he really proves he's ready to do that and. You know, that that's just how it goes as, as a goaltender. You're going to get the easier starts at first as a backup, the back-to-backs, you know, the easier opponents, you know, not the top teams in the league, and then you kind of slowly prove yourself that way, and then you move into the you know more difficult matchups uh, based off your play, and then eventually you become the starter. And I and for him, I think it's going to take a couple of years, but he definitely has the potential to be that guy. But uh, as uh, Brett mentioned in the chat, like just because you think Dossel's a starter, like I don't think you trade away your starting netminder guy who's already proven that he can be that on a on a hope and a whim that Dossel can be that guy. Yeah, I mean, you know, like how much do I need to see? I would say I would like to see two or three thirty-five-ish start seasons from him, mm-hmm. right? Um, because like, I think it's more than fair to say, right? Like if you're looking at it, uh, Washington did this with Varlamov, mm-hmm. right? Where they were just like, um, okay, uh, we can move him because we have somebody else. And I think that was Holtby at that point. And, um, you know, we can move it. So like, I don't think it's unfair to say you can trade Gibson down the line. Like, you know, you can't trade Gibson down the road, but you, there isn't enough information at this point to make that decision, and I would, like I said, want to see multiple thirty to thirty-five game seasons out of him, where he's putting up consistent good numbers. He's putting up, um, you know, he's playing as a very high end backup, getting you know maybe creeping towards forty-ish 
uh, starts in some of those games or something like that. Um, the one, the but, one thing yeah, I will say I about Dostal that's different from Carter Hart and Spencer Knight is the path he's taken to get to where mm-hmm. he is now is a lot different. Like Carter Hart came from junior to the AHL and the NHL and got thrust into this spot. Spencer Knight came from the U.S. national development team to college to the NHL, right? Like, it's a tough, mm-hmm. tough jump as a netminder. And, like, yeah, Hart, Hart Knight was great in the first handful of games, and then the, you know, I don't want to say the luck ran out, but that kind of, you know, first period we see from a lot of netminders where they look amazing just kind of, like, eventually caught up to him, and he, he's had a tough go since then. And now I believe... I, I think he's still up with the Panthers, or maybe he got sent back down to the AHL. Now he's getting that time in the mm-hmm. league below to kind of get adjusted and get his feet under him, and eventually he'll get another chance. But you look at Dostal, like he played like two or three seasons in the in the Finnish Elite League, one of the top pro leagues in the world, playing against men, playing against some of the top players outside the NHL. Then he goes and, and plays, uh, was it two full seasons, or was last year his first full season in the AHL? I can't remember last year. last year. So they plays a full season as a kind of one a and looks great in the AHL. Now he's back this year playing again in the American hockey league and, and getting, a, you know, obviously the taste of an, uh, of an NHL start with the ducks. So you think by the time he is maybe next year, ready to be a backup or uh, you know, he's got two, th- two to three full pro seasons overseas and two AHL seasons under his belt. So he's got a lot more experience than some of these kids that are being thrust in this position. So I think, Based on that, like if we're comparing him to top young goaltenders in this league and the way they've transitioned to the NHL, he's got a leg up in that sense of experience and composure. And I think you can kind of just see it from the way he plays, right? Like he just looks like he's a bit more comfortable out there and understands the pace of play. So that adjustment period for him might be a little bit less than what we've seen from you know some of these top young goaltenders. And he just, for, for me, like he's just so been so underrated for so long. Like he just has not gotten any of the credit that some of these these you know the hearts and the knights and the Askarovs have gotten, but he's put up the numbers in every league that he's been in and been the you know the top goaltender in those leagues and and uh, you know looks great in his NHL debut and you know the three goals that got past him I don't think they're you know a huge fault of him and it's his first game so you know you can chalk that up to nerves. And I just loved his like incite, excitement, enthusiasm from winning that game too. Like the guy just loved it. He loved that he was there. Loved being there. Was so excited to get the win. Uh, I, I I wish him all the best, man. I hope he does well. I'd love to see him step in. I love Gibby too. Like don't get me wrong, but uh, I, I would love to see this kid succeed. And obviously the Ducks have another uh, another goalie in the pipeline. You can go ask. Uh, Go ask CJ how that that tweet went. <laughs> he said that the Ducks had the the best pipeline. He got Rangers fans on him pretty quick on that one with the Lundqvist to Shesterk. And even uh, I think Preds fans were jumping in there with their Rene Desaros comments too. That was Get the hell out of here. That's Rangers so fans were so waiting bad. for that one, man. <laughs> they, <laughs> like, were, they were, dude. That's the thing. Like it's almost just like he was having like Shesterkin's having Shesterkin, right? Yeah. Is having just way too good of a year that the timing is just so bad. And it's just like, I just he was making a point about the ducks. And it's like, yeah, it doesn't matter. Sports fans are insane. Um, I love it. Rangers fans are know, always but... on guard to defend Lundqvist. <laughs> you can't, can't come for one of their best players or all time like that. That was, but he's yeah, not wrong right. though. Like the, the, if the ducks can go from, 
uh, from, well, I guess, Hiller to Freddie to Gibson to Dostal, like a, a nice pipeline like that where you're really not without a starting netminder. Like, that's great. That, that is, that's excellent development and drafting, and you're avoiding, like, a Philadelphia Flyers situation where you go, like, 30 years without a starting netminder. Like, that, it's, it might not be Lundqvist to Shesterkin, but it still is a very a very good pipeline to have of, of, you know, capable young netminders in in a path to go through, right? Like that's the hardest thing to get in this league is a really good young starting netminder and a pipeline that you can continually rotate through these guys. You're not waiting for one or having to trade for one or sign one in free agency that you can just kind of keep developing these guys and credit to the ducks. They've done a really good job of doing that. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's great, right? It's, it's, it's a testament to scouting. It's a testament to development. Uh, it's also a testament to luck. Yeah. Like there's no, you know, it, there is just a part of it that's just luck, um, you know, because like they're on a new goalie coach. So it's hard to say, you know, to whatever degree anybody's involved with all these guys. Um, but yeah, no, I, you know, I, I, I think, like I said, I think Dostal has top 10 goalie in the league potential based on everything I've heard, based on how well he's played, uh, where he's been. Uh, to your point, I definitely think he's someone who could uh, step in a little quicker and more comfortably than some of these other young guys because there's, like you said, it's just a huge leap. But Gibson's the guy right now, and he's going to be the guy for the near future. And I don't think they're going to look to move Gibby with how good these young players look. You know, uh, he's exactly kind of a great guy to have because he's. A little bit older he's more established you know what i mean he's he can be kind of a, a calming veteran presence at the back end uh while these you know kids go out there and just do all these flip the puck over the fucking goal shit <laughs> so it's it's cool man i you know i it's a, a great spot to be in but i don't think there's any reason to rush too far ahead. I'm going to answer a question in the chat here from D.B. Lowry. He said, who the hell did the Preds have before Pecorine? And it brought up a name I don't think I've I've said in a long time, but Thomas Vokun. Thomas Vokun? He was good to go from, like, he's mm-hmm. not Lundqvist, but Vokun to Rene to Soros and maybe potentially to Askarov. That's not bad. If, yeah, Askarov's so funny. If Askarov That's can figure like... it out, I mean that, that it's got to be tough to go from an era where like Flurry, you know, guys like Flurry getting drafted number one, to an era where like you just never drafted goaltenders in the top in the first round anymore. Back to okay, now we're seeing goaltenders get drafted near the top ten again, and have that pressure on you as a goaltender, and how like he's not even played a game outside of Russia, and he's getting labeled as a buster. <laughs> Fuck, dude, sucks. It's, it's a rough time kids, man, to be man. a young goalie is not necessarily linear and we need to remember that um yeah so yeah i think that's what's up with Dossel. i think he can be really good and whether he is or not is unfortunately nothing anybody can tell you yet so all right um i don't have the answer to this so we can look this up unless you somehow know this off the top of your head like a trivia question here but uh and this question was what's the season record for shooting percentage asking for troy terry Oh, it's got to be close to 30% by somebody. I'm going to – it's got to be like we, – didn't we kind of look this up like Alex Tongay at one point? I thought we did. 
I think he has like a, an insane career high shooting percentage. Yeah. Okay. So Terry's like is, shooting percentage right now, just for reference, is twenty four point four percent. So, dude, it was at like thirty six earlier in the season. Yeah, it was bad. Uh, let's see. Let me see if I can find this. I I doubt like it exists. It's just a stat. Uh, oh, well, no. This is right now. This season, I think Marcus Felino has a twenty nine point two percent shooting percentage. Uh, oh, no, I got it here. Okay, so the NHL and WHL single-season leaders and records for shooting percentage. I, 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 you won't get it, but can you guess what the number is? I don't think you'll get the player. It's, it's absolutely impossible, I think. It's from the 80s, early 80s. Is it like Mike Bossy for like 38%? No, this guy played for the California Golden Seals as a rookie. <laughs> To the L.A. Kings, Jesus. and then the Boston Bruins, and finished with the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, put up 711 points in 712 NHL games. It's not bad. His name is Charlie Simmer. A NHL record, 32.75% shooting percentage in 1980-1981. He scored 56 goals on... Uh, where's his shots? I don't, uh, 171 I shots. Don't think they... oh, wow. <laughs> and he has a career shooting percentage of 22.3%. That rocks. <laughs> that is wild, That's so man. funny. That's, that's some crazy. And it's brought down by his rookie, rookie seasons where he put up a 8.3 and 4.8 shooting percentage. Other than that, he would be, uh, even higher than that. That's wild. Wow. That's incredible. Uh, funny thing is, Marcus Foligno is actually in a territory of being in the top 10 if he finishes this season with a, his 29.17 shooting percentage. He'd be in 7th place. Who would be 8th place? Who would he jump? Uh, he's Well, he's in front of Rob Brown and Craig Simpson right now, both from the 88-89 season. Yari Curry is 10th with a 28.81 shooting percentage. The remainder of the top 10, Charlie Simmer, number 1, Sergey Makarov is 32.26%, 1990-91. Craig Simpson, again, just the king of like high-shooting yeah, percentage season. 31.64 in 87-88. Warren Young, just over 30 in 84-85. Rob Brown, again, in 87-88, had a 30%. And Steve Vickers... In seventy nine eighty, had twenty nine point five nine. Rob Brown is in the top five, top ten, three times <laughs> for for the highest shooting. Mario Lemieux up there too. In eighty eight eighty nine, he had a shooting percentage of twenty seven point one six. I wonder how many goals he had in that year because it's Lemieux. Oh my god, he had seventy five. He had eighty five goals. <laughs> he had eighty five goals and a hundred ninety nine points. And he still shot the puck 313 times. <laughs> that's what I was going to say. Like, that's why it's not, you know, necessarily any of the, like, true great players yeah. because the volume is just makes it impossible. But Mario Lemieux was like, yeah, no, let's definitely, let's just definitely be better than everybody for a minute. And 85 goals. That's 85 insane. goals, 114 assists for 199 points. Statistically, Mario Lemieux's best season. Still at 100 pims that year, too. <laughs> That's right, because he's a legend. Unreal, man. Some of these numbers are just, uh, just insane. A couple shorties to go along with that. Or 13 shorthanded goals, sorry, which is wild. 31 power play goals. 
Um, five shorthanded assists, eight game-winning goals. Just uh, And somehow, with 199 points, he was only a plus 41. <laughs> um, Brett, uh, I think it was Brett asking, you find the best in the in the cap era what what uh what year does that put us in cap era 2007, 2007 okay or 2006 uh well right now it's marcus felino he'll probably finish there so if marcus felino finishes like anything above 25 percent, he will be the highest in the in the cap era so we've got guys like neely roberts uh gretzky curry in these numbers a lot of 80s 80s and 90s guys here Mike Ribeiro, 2007-2008, 25.23 shooting percentage. He's the only one in the top 50 from in the cap era. Uh, what did I say? Let's go for 2007-2008, he had 27 goals, Ribeiro did, on almost less than 100 shots, 107 shots. <laughs> Gross. Yeah. Uh... Hundred percent here for Felino fucking knocking Ribeiro out of that. Uh, but Troy Terry sixty third overall uh, in this list. The only other guy in the other than Felino, Ribeiro, and Terry in from the salary cap era is Sergei Kostitsin in 2010-11 had a twenty four point seven three shooting percentage. So it's it's rare rare territory. Tyler Bertuzzi is up there this year as well with a twenty three point nine four shooting percentage. So. Yeah, but he's not going to play 80 games, so it doesn't count. He's going to play, like, 50 games. Screw him. Uh, to DB asked who the hell was playing the Mew on the PK. Uh, back in the day, good players used to play on the penalty kill, which, you know. I, Lemieux, yeah, I, Lemieux was the guy who, uh, the player who had the game where he scored five different ways, right? Shorty, power play, penalty yeah, shot. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, even strength. Empty net. And overtime was it or was it empty net or no i guess it wasn't it wouldn't be empty net oh yeah i think it might have been uh, now i gotta look this up yeah right. but that's like the best stat in the world it's even strength power play penalty shot penalty kill the fifth one is yeah i think empty net five goals five ways i know this is riveting for everybody but uh lemieux was also fucking huge so he could be out there on the penalty kill and it wasn't ridiculous he even strength shorty power play penalty shot and an empty netter yeah with one second remaining in the game he got the empty netter love it all right uh let's see what do we got rolled up next year okay this is good we were going to cover this on last show we didn't end up covering it uh with the report out of montreal that martin madden is not going to be on the list of gms for the habs does this change who you want to be as the next gm we can also talk about that too because i know you wanted to talk about it on the last show um so are are you surprised that martin madden was not allowed to interview for the habs gm job does this change who you want as the next ducks gm so I was very much surprised that he wasn't allowed to interview. Sorry, Mart- Martin yeah. Madden, as Pierre Lebrun says. <laughs> um, I was a little surprised, but I, I guess it makes sense, right? If he's considered a strong internal candidate and you think that he's been a big part of what has made Anaheim successful in the past, then like I get it. But I, I was a little surprised because it just felt I mean, maybe that's why he wasn't is because they were too close to sure that Gorton would have picked him and that would have been the game. Uh, but, you know, I, I think think for me, uh, he's an interesting choice. 
Uh, I think Solomon's an interesting choice. You have Tolski. Um, obviously, everybody we know wants John Chaka, um, the greatest GM of all time. Um, but what about you? Where are you at? Like for me, it doesn't change who I think because I I, I just think. I think it's Jeff Solomon or an outside source. I, I find it weird that Martin Madden could be like, he's in the running, but I just feel like it would be so weird for me for him to get it over Solomon when they didn't give Martin Madden the interim GM and they gave it to Jeff Solomon yeah. instead. Like that decision for me would be weird. I wouldn't be against it. Cause I think Martin Madden it, it deserves to be a general manager in this league just based off his track record and what he's done for the ducks organization. But yeah, it would be a weird move for the, for the Ducks to bring Jeff Solomon in as an interim from outside the organization to be the interim and not, they didn't give it to uh, Martin Madden mm-hmm. after they had just given Martin Madden the AGM under Bob Murray. Like it is, it is a bit weird. I, I think he would have been great for the Montreal job. I think he probably would have been their top candidate. When you look at some of the names they're interviewing, mm-hmm. like they are looking at a lot of um, guys with, with not a huge resume. Montreal is, Martin Madden, I think, just in terms of his experience and what he brings and, and his track record would have been top of the list just for that for Montreal. And then add in the fact that he is, uh, I guess, French and bilingual, apparently. Um, he would probably be the, the easy choice for that job. But uh, So let me ask you this. If he doesn't get the Anaheim job and the Vancouver job is still open under Rutherford, do you think he would take that job? Yeah, so so I, one thing I to before I answer that I I would see if you know this because I don't now. In the off season, they still have to ask for permission to interview him as long as he's under contract, right? And the Ducks can just I say no. So. Okay, so so see, this is the the interesting thing for me. The thing I'm curious about is after the Ducks make the decision, if it's not Martin Madden, do they still want him to go interview? Because or do they want to keep him around to say, "You listen, you're sticking around here until like that." That that's the thing I can't get wrap my head around right now is. He must be a pretty close candidate for the Ducks GM job. Otherwise, they would have let him go interview for Montreal. So he must be right up there with Jeff Solomon. I just can't wrap my head around the decision-making process of him getting the job over Jeff Solomon when Jeff Solomon was given the interim GM job. But uh, I would think if he loses it, the Ducks should grant him the opportunity to go interview yeah. for Vancouver. That It's only fair. If they if that's why they kept him was to be in the running for the Ducks job and he doesn't get it, mm-hmm. the the work he's done for this organization he deserves the right to go have a chance at doing that. And and you brought up the Carolina situation. Did he interview? He interviewed for that job, right? They let him interview for that job. I can't remember. I don't remember actually. He was um, he was in the um the discussion. Like he brought that was the first time we heard like Martin Madden as a a rumor. Uh, being like an, another team being interested in him as a GM, and then immediately the Ducks uh, like squashed that by making him AGM under Bob Murray. So, I, mm. so, um, but yeah, I mean, now this is the third team that would be interested in him if Vancouver showed interest. I would imagine um, that if they were still looking for a GM, he'd be on that list. But I, I think that decision in Vancouver gets made within the next month or so. They're already having yeah, interviews, which which sucks for him because he he deserves a chance. I mean, and there will be other teams that are looking, but. I really hope um, that the Ducks did this for a good reason, and he, he really is in a position, in a good position, to get the general manager role. Like that's 
because that would be unfair. Like uh, for everything this guy yeah, has done, I, that would be I, unfair. I agree. I think that would be pretty shitty. Um, you know, and I think look, I think if you know they don't pick him, I think they tell him like. We'd love to still have you here and be an assistant general manager. We're obviously a huge fan of what you do, but we understand if you want to move on and look for something else. And I get that. Like I wouldn't, you know, I think they absolutely have to let him do it. So um, DB Rallier brings up a good point in the chat right now is Solomon for like president of hockey ops and Madden for GM. I think, I think those roles fit those guys perfectly. If I'm being yeah, completely honest with you, I, that's true. Yeah, because like you know, Solomon. Part of what he was brought in to do was to develop the analytics department of the uh, the franchise. So you know, just putting him in general of the process of you know going about the business of you know trying to build the team and all the different parts that go into it makes a ton of sense. And then obviously Martin Madden has been a big part of the drafting that Anaheim has done. And you know, I, by my view he has a really solid track record and anaheim's done a good job in the draft uh and so yeah like i i, I get that but it would do the, the, do, it would very much surprise me if that's the way that that went the ducks don't have DB, a listen, director of hockey no. ops right now right no. okay i didn't think so i for some reason i thought they had put somebody in that position and i just couldn't remember for the life of me who it was DB, stop bringing up David Notice. You're going to make me <laughs> Dave Notice will Just... continue to be and forever will always be an assistant general manager. Jesus. That leaks things to Darren Dreger because I think they're somehow related. So. They're cousins, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I actually didn't even think about that. I would uh, I'd be all for that if so Jeff Solomon became the director of hockey ops and Madden became the AGM and you're promoting two guys from within into high-profile positions. I think Solomon is perfectly groomed to be the director of ho- hockey ops and have his hands on a little bit more things than just making roster decisions, but also has his input in those as well um, and, and you know brings that analytics mindset that he has proven he has in LA to you know all hockey operations decisions within the Ducks I think that would be great and then clearly um you know I I think Martin Man like I said Martin Madden deserves to be a, a general manager in this league I think he could potentially be one of the better general managers in this league when you look at you know just his extensive knowledge of scouting and running the Ducks scouting department for for as long as he did and then now looking on the player development side of things and and um, you know the pro scouting side that he's kind of brought into his his resume over the last couple of years. Like I, I would love to see that setup. That would I didn't even think about this before. I love that he brought it up. Like that that is my ideal situation for this offseason to keep both of them and have them in those roles. Yeah, no, I, I'm not going to say that that wouldn't work. I would be quite a big fan of that. So. Uh, and God, I hope they're not one of the teams interested in Mark Bergevin. I, I know. <laughs> every time, every time I look. see that, I saw some, somebody tweet out the fact that um, Bergevin came to LA is because there was an open position, and it wasn't to stick around with LA because Rob Blake got the extension. It was to be close to Anaheim and be able to, to kind of monitor their situation. <laughs> and I was like, please, Ridiculous. please, no, I, I can't have this. I cannot have Mark Bergeron in charge of the Anaheim Ducks. That would be a nightmare. Just look at the Habs. Yeah, that would be a disaster. Um, okay, so I think that's it for our Reddit questions. We had a couple more, but they were just similar to our Twitter questions where they were directed 
at us. <laughs> not a, not an actual question about the the ducks. Uh, Dave sent in a question because Dave is the best, and he said, "I re- I read the ducks are one of the teams mentioned when it comes to Evander Kane. Do you feel if management think they can make a dis- decent run, they take a shot at him?" Um, before I'll let you go first on this, but the one thing I will say on the Evander Kane situation is apparently he's looking for a one year deal. So that just so we can get the contract situation out of the way and talk about him as a person and what as a player he would bring. So you up first, I know you've been waiting to talk of Andrew Kane. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what what uh, what would you think about that? So look, I guess the first thing to say is like for my money, I think Evander Kane is probably one of the ten best power forwards to play in the league in the last ten years. Like I just think um you know he's got an incredible mix of speed and skill and strength and um he, physically he's just incredible like he's put fucking manson on a poster on the same move multiple times and i know for some of you that doesn't mean much and some of you it might uh as far as like what you think of manson but like i i understand why he would be a fit stylistically um, I don't care if it's for the minimum. I don't want him around this team. I don't, I don't think, so like, there's, there's, there's like, there's like three pieces to this, right? There's one, there's the hockey player, then there's the hockey teammate, and then there's like the dude. Yep. Like, the dude is garbage. The player is really fucking good. The teammate seems to also be garbage. Like, people don't seem to like him. Like, he keeps having to get run out of places. You know, this is the third place that he's worn out his welcome in. And, like, I think we've seen by now. NHL players are very um, open-minded, as it were, about who can and can't, you know, be around the team and all that kind of stuff. Like, they they don't seem to, you know, uh, I just think... It's just such a bad thing because I just don't – this team has been re-energized by the energy around these kids. And the energy around him and the conversation around him and because of all the shit he's done off ice, there's going to be a giant spotlight with him wherever he ends up because I do think he's going to get a gig. Yeah, it, it takes away from what the Ducks are, what's positive and what's news news and noteworthy about the Ducks right now in terms of like the young kids and it Terry and whatever. Room, and that becomes the story now all of a sudden that Evander Kane. I think of all places he could go, Edmonton might be the best place for him to go, not only as a player to play with McDavid, but for him right. if he wants to squash the news. Let's go to, one, one of the top hockey markets in the world where – they will forget all that stuff about him immediately. And it will be about what he does mm-hmm. on the ice. And the stories in Edmonton are that they suck and they need to be better. The goaltending sucks. Are they going to fire their coach? And then McDavid will do something on the ice that will just cover that up immediately. If him as a player, I can I can see why he wants to go there. It makes complete sense for him to go there because all the issues that he has falling will get, will get completely glossed over by the hockey side of things. Is that the right think no it shouldn't we shouldn't forget about the things that he's done and why everybody thinks he's a shitty person but i can i can see why edmonton want him as a hockey player i think he's the exact type of player they need 
for their team. I, I think the prospect of him playing with Connor McDavid is scary for any team in the Pacific Division to go against that if, if yeah. he's anything the player he was. And it's not like he's coming back from an injury, so he should be the same player he was when he was at his best in San Jose. Um, and, and you know what? Listen, I'm all I'm all about guys getting second chances in a sense to prove themselves wrong. I think he's gone you know, way too far and it's not going to change that he's a shitty person. Uh, but he's gotten at a certain point, you run out of second yeah, chances. It, That's but thing. if you want another chance to, to prove yourself and get away from the limelight per se of where mm-hmm. he was, Edmonton is probably the place to do that. Like that is that is the the place. To yeah. Do. My part of me wants him to go to Vegas and this just go complete shit show, but that's not gonna. Part of that's me, not gonna happen. Part. I want him to go to Carolina and then maybe him and Tony D'Angelo will get in a fight and that would be very funny. That would be great practice fight video between Tony D'Angelo and, oh, and then God. they both just get suspended for the rest of the year. That would be. Awesome. Let's go. Let's do it. That would rock. Um. But yeah, no, he fucking sucks. Like, like I said, like I really do think, like, just pure hockey, I think he's fucked. Like, top ten power forward might be a little too far because, like, all of a sudden, like my brain is realizing that this was kind of the era of the power forwards in some ways. Yeah. You know, because you've got like uh, Rick Nash and obviously Ovechkin, and you know Perry's a power forward in some sense, and Jamie Benn and all this kind of stuff. But like, Vander Kane's really fucking good. Yeah. And I've seen him, like I said, embarrass the Ducks on multiple occasions with skill, with speed, with strength. Um, but the the benefits are so minuscule to the detriments that I just don't think it's worth it. And then again, like I said, like I think the detriments are all the stuff that's in the room. Like, I just don't think the fact that anyone wants to be around this guy is a is a good sign. And again, when you have such a fun and f- energetic young team that just really feels like, uh, I think Brett said in here, that they're playing for each other and stuff. Like, you know, I, I just don't see why you would even risk bringing uh, such a volatile x factor into that room yeah evander kane the player is a no-brainer for the ducks to go out and acquire a player like that who could jump into their top six and be a contributor you don't have to give up any assets to do it the contract Mm -hmm. cost isn't going to be high like all that makes sense in in that sense to bring in a player like that but then you get to the evander kane the person side of things and you're like yeah no we're not going to do this like this this is not (laughs) this is not a good idea and and that's when you start looking at other guys we've already talked about and and you know james and reamsteig and Giroux and pavelski like if you really want to go for it there's other options that you can go out out there and acquire uh, if you really need to do it. And again, like, even if we're talking about would Evander Kane even want to come to Anaheim, I, I, I doubt it. Like, I think if Edmonton's an option, they're at the top of the list for him. And then there's a lot of other teams that will likely show interest, maybe not publicly, but that will have shown interest oh, behind the scenes. Yeah, and they will he, they will be higher on, on his list than, than Anaheim would just because of where the Ducks are at this point. Like, I would assume Vegas is probably interested. As, as funny and ridiculous as that is, I would imagine they are interested based on their cap situation. If they could bring him in at, like, one by one, they would do that in a heartbeat, I think, the position that they're in. Shit, are, 
are we sure like Toronto wouldn't be interested? Yeah, I would imagine Toronto would would do it as well. I think they would take a little bit more heat from the media than let's say Edmonton would just because of the market. Right. But I would still imagine that they are one of the teams that has inquired and has has are thought you about saying- it. The market that has Jim Matheson is maybe the biggest voice in it. Isn't as critical. That's weird. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no surprise there. Um, all right, we got a couple more questions, and then we'll wrap up the show here. Uh, we had a question from Instagram. It said, "How many years realistically are we looking at till the Ducks are an actual Cup contender?" We've talked about this a couple times, uh, but now you can go first on this one. We're now a um, playoff contender earlier than we thought we would be. Uh, but when we when we think of, when I think of where this team could be next year, um, potentially losing Lindholm and Raquel and Manson, uh, I th- still think the timeline that I, I, I kind of stuck to uh, was about, you know, three to four years away last year. Now that would be two to three. I think we're about two to three years away yeah. from being an actual cup contender. I don't think just because they've been better than, than we thought they would be this year that that changes because I think, all of this could fall apart next year with losing some of those key core players if there isn't any either players brought in or other players step up to replace them. Like those are big losses to lose, you know, a top four right handed defenseman. As bad as I know Josh Manson has been, there is nobody in the pipeline right now who can step in and do what he does. There just isn't. And replacing Ricard Raquel immediately is difficult to do. Jacob Perot will probably be that guy eventually. Brain Tracy could be that guy eventually, but probably not as early as next season when you think they both played a one game each, right, at the NHL level. Right. And then Hampus Lindholm is the biggest one to replace because, again, just like Manson, there isn't anybody who can step in and do that right now unless you were to go acquire a Jacob Chikrin. And, you know. And even then, Chikrin's not the same type of player. No. You know, he would bring a very – he would need a much-needed dynamic. He would be great. I'm not saying don't go out and get him, but he's just not stylistically the same type of player. Yeah, it, it is um, It is still, for me, two to three years. Um, you know, another important draft this year to get a player, hopefully, in the you know, top – and now it looks like in the 15 to 20 range to get in for the next couple years to be ready for when you, you know, jump into your lineup when you're ready to compete. Potentially another top 10 pick next year, depending on how the Ducks do. I hope they are good next year, and I hope they're just as good as this year, but I have my concerns, like I had said, for various different reasons. But I think, you know, another couple years of of Perot and Tracy and Pastuav and Thrun and Zellweger all developing Colangelo, making their way to the NHL, playing some games with the goals. Like, you need a couple years to get that, so... I would say at the tail end of, of three years from now, if they aren't one of the better teams in the Pacific Division, then maybe you can start to worry at, at that point. But I, I would say you know, it's at least two to three years away from them being a, a cup contender when we look at the Avalanche and the, you know, the Maple Leafs and the Panthers and the Lightning of being that team. They are, you know, they are at least a few years away from that. Yeah, I mean... I, I think kind of two to three is what I have in my head, but I think the other way I would look at it is um, you need Perot, Zellweger, McTavish. I can't believe I forgot Mason. And probably one other guy to not be rookies. Yeah. And that, that needs to be a big part of it, right? Like, because technically next year, McTavish will still be a rookie. 
Um, if Zellweger is able to make a leap, then he would be a rookie. And, you know, I, I just don't think you can have, unless they get somebody who surprises or they make, you know, uh, a, a big trade, like get a chicken or something like that. I just think they need a couple of more guys in that, that younger end. And to your point about it all falling apart, like a big part of why this team has done well this year is Getzloff, uh, Adam Henrique, and Kevin Shattenkirk have been really good. And I don't know how much any of that is sustainable if you asked me i would put my money on uh shattenkirk being the one who's the most likely to be around this good next year um but even then like you know i just think there's enough older guys on this team that play an important position or play an important role that you need to have guys already in who are going to take those spots. And, and I think when, if we just take out maybe just like internally the Ducks themselves and we, you know, because being a cup contender also is how much better you are and how much better the teams around you are getting. I, I think when you look at next year in this Pacific division and, and you know, Vegas is going to be fully healthy with Pacioretty, Stone, and Eichel as their top line, right? Like that, they are by far mm-hmm. the best team in the division next year. You would assume Edmonton, if not this year, plus next year, will in the offseason will make moves to make their team better and still have McDavid and settle. Calgary is on the up. They're not losing a ton of players. They're going to add and be better. Vancouver is a young team on the upcome. They're not really losing anybody unless they, like, you know, they're going to have to potentially trade a, a Besser or a Miller at some point, but they will still be relatively the same team. LA isn't really losing anybody, and they will continue to add young players from the American Hockey League, Byfields and the Turcots to their roster. Mm-hmm. Of, you know, all the top teams in that division, I think you could say the only teams who are potentially stand to lose assets before next year and be a worse team on paper are the Ducks and the Sharks. Because the Sharks could potentially lose Tomas Hurdle as well as a few other guys. And then the Ducks, like we said, are going to lose Lindholm, Raquel, and Manson, likely, if not at least two of those guys for next year. So there are going to be spots they have to fill. And you can overcome that in free agency, but we won't know that until we get to that point. If you're just looking at the outlook of these teams next year versus this year, four teams stand to likely get better or at least stay the same, whereas the Ducks are going to be one of those teams that are likely going to get worse by just naturally losing players. And, you know, there's there's ways to overcome that. You know, guys like Max Jones and Maxime Comtois take a Troy Terry step forward and Getzlaff and Henrique and Shannon could continue to be contributors and you add some players in free agency and you could potentially get there. But it, it's tough for me to say that this team is just all of a sudden going to be one of the best teams in the Pacific Division next year when they face these tough decisions that they're going to come up against, a potential roster loss heading into next year. Yeah, I think you made a great point, dude. I think there's a really good chance in three or four years we're looking at the Pacific the way we're looking at the Atlantic right now, where there's just five teams for four spots. Um, You know, Seattle's the wild card here. They could get better at any time. They could get worse at any time. You know, they're the wild card. Um, But, yeah, like I don't think San Jose is going to be particularly good next year, and I'm not 100% sure we're going to be particularly good next year. Um, so, you know, I, I think that three years from now, so what is that? The 23, the 24, 25 season is probably, I would expect the ducks 
to be yeah. in the conversation for real for the 25 well, playoffs. Yeah, I think Seagrass in season four at that point, Drysdale, right. same thing. Like, these guys should be superstars at that Nick point. Cavish is in his second or third year. Right. Yeah, you know, they're they're starting to come into the real prime years of their career. Um you know, or not even the prime, but like the 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 main contributing years of like you know outside of their early twenties, like these guys should be your best players, and and the way they're projecting and Zegers and Drysdale and McTavish should be top players in this league, right? So that, and again, anything could go wrong at, at this point, and the same with any player in any team that things might not pan out. But the Ducks, the way they're projected, the way their prospect pool looks, when you think them and the Kings have the best prospect pool in the league. They should be, in the next three to four years, one of the best teams in the National Hockey League. If everything, or even if the 80% of what they have pans out, they, they should be in that discussion. So it's a good spot to be in. And I'm, not, I'm, try, I'm trying not to be pessimistic here by saying the Ducks might not be good next year. But you just have to kind of sit there and, some, you know, it, it's tough to not get ahead of yourself by the way they've played this year and the way we expected them to play. But they are facing uh, some, some turnover next year that is going to make it tough to repeat what they did this year. But there's every chance that Zegers comes out another step above what he's doing this year and is over a point-per-game player and Drysdale takes a step forward. Like, there, there are ways... You know, I don't want to be pessimistic here. There are ways that the Ducks could still be good next year, if not better. There's just a lot of things yeah, that have absolutely. to happen. Yeah, it, it's just going to take things that you can't rely on. Yeah, like this year. Again, and, we, we did not expect yeah, Troy absolutely. Terry to become a potential 50-goal scorer and, and a point-per-game, <laughs> like 80-point 80, 80 pace guy. Nobody expected that this year. Nobody expected a lot of the, the veterans to rebound, and they did. So every year has its its – you know, storylines that could propel you into being a better team than you were. So just because it looks like it could be a tough year for the Ducks next year, this year proves that it it, it easily, just as easily could could be a good year and even a better year depending on how things go. And, and the Ducks have enough young pieces that they, they can overcome it. It's just going to be tough when the teams around you don't lose anything and they almost gain in the, in the sense of Vegas, um, you know, having a full healthy season of potentially, you know, a – back to prime Jack Eichel, right? Along with their team and, and other teams like, you know, Edmonton's still going to have Drysaddle and McDavid and, and are going to fill some of the holes that they have. So it's it's tough to, to look at that. But we got one final question here, and then we can kind of riff about whatever we want. But I just want to get to the last question here because it's on topic of the kids. We were asked, what is our favorite current Ducks prospect? You got one on top of your head? Other than Hunter Drew? That's, that's the answer. It's Hunter Drew. It's Hunter Drew. Um, you know, I, I aside from him, then it's McTavish. Um, I, I don't really look at Z as a prospect at this point. Yeah, him and, him um, and Drysdale, I think, have kind of elevated out I, of that I, now. I think there's, uh, yeah. So, like, I'd say it's Hunter Drew just because, like, fucking, what are we talking about? I love him. Uh, and then... Uh, Mason McTavish, just because I was completely caught off guard by how comfortable he looked this year, and uh, if if that's for real, man, like, oh boy, like he could be fun. He could be really fun, and uh, I I think it would be nice uh, to have that kind of uh, thunder and lightning in your top six for your jump two centers. Yeah, I I think for me the answer is the same of ever being Mason McTavish. Um... Yeah, you, you could have asked me 
when he was drafted or, or a little bit after he was drafted, he probably wouldn't have been even in my top three. Just I wasn't a, just a huge fan uh, of his game at that point, but he's just proven at this point that he's so much further ahead than I thought he would be. And, and right. then uh, along with the size and everything we knew, like the shot has just translated through every level. It's, it's still going to have to get to the NHL level at some point, but you know, it's, it's, so much better than you know anything the hard thing to shake was the nick ritchie vibes right like a big kid big power forward you know nhl ready size nhl ready shot but, but then like he's just like that's... taking it to another level where you're like okay no this kid is beyond that like he is you know the, the stick handling ability yeah, his skill know. to get in, in like the sense to get to the front of that like he's just taking his his level his game to another level you know watching him this year with peterborough and then uh, the short stint with um, the World Juniors for Canada, and and now his first game with um, with ha- with Hamilton in the OHL. Like for me, he's he's by far my favorite current Ducks prospect, just because I love what like this guy could potentially turn out to be for mm-hmm. for this roster, and like just a fun one-two punch, different kind of aspects of him and Zegris down the middle for the Ducks mm-hmm. is is exciting. Yeah. So yeah, like I said, I was caught off guard by how comfortable he looked, but I all the Nick Ritchie shit always bothered me. Yeah. It's unfair because it felt unfair. It just felt like the kid deserved a clean slate, and it's just like, you know, you're judging a kid based on three adjectives. You know what I mean? Like, I just it it feels. It was too. It was too easy was, and lazy of a comparison in the, in, in yeah, the sense that he's right. a power forward who played for the same junior team as Nick Ritchie, and he was big and had a good shot. and And everybody has PTSD from Nick Ritchie getting drafted tenth overall. So it was an easy comparison to make, and fuck, we made it. Like we we made the comparison. Like it, it was, it was it was too hard not to to make the comparison. But the good thing is he's proved us all wrong. And he's clearly a, a better player than than Nick Ritchie was and will be, and uh, you know for for good reason. And, and again, like um, I think it was DB Lyris in the chat, like we were all on the the William Eklund hype train. Like I I wanted another skilled player like Eklund, and and you know maybe Eklund turns into the better player. But I'm start I'm I've come around on Mason McTavish that like I'm comfortably putting him in that discussion as as he he's looking like he could have been the could be the best player of that draft. Now a lot of that has to do with the fact that he's just already like two years in front of a lot of these guys, just with his size right. and, and you know how comfortable he's slotted in. So time will tell, but it, it it's the perfect player I think for the Ducks to get at that spot on on how quickly he's adjusting, and he's you know he's not two years away like Eklund might be. Like he's ready next year. He was probably ready this year. Dude, I, 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 Eklund's probably ready next year. He should be. Good yeah. early in San Jose, dude. Yeah, uh, he's gonna. He be reminds me like of a Pedersen in the sense that like he's ready skill wise, but he's just like a string bean. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, then the other two that we should say just because of the way that they play is Pastyov and uh, Zellweger, yeah. right? Zellweger being a small, high uh, elite skill, elite skating. Uh, you know, guy. Like, I mean, look, look how how much fun it's been to see Jamie Drysdale do this. And if we get another one of those guys, it's going to be a blast. It's just going to be fun. And that's the thing, right? Like, it's not best, it's favorite. And then the other part of it is is Pastiov. And, you know, he's just a great story. The Ducks look very smart for taking him in the third round. And, you know, he just proves everybody wrong with these over-concerns about his skating and all that stuff. Like, it's a great story. So, like, I would very much love all that to come true. But the two for me are, at the end of the day, Mason McTavish 
and Hunter Drew. I, I, I love Hunter Drew too. Um, the one, the other two guys I do want to mention that I, I am, they're among my favorites outside of, of McTavish. I, I, obviously, I love Perot. I love uh, Zellweger, Pastuov. Uh, Lucas Dahl still still. I, I just think what he's done, he's so underrated. And it's just great for the Ducks to have another top goalie in the pipeline behind John Gibson. And, and then Sam Colangelo, I still love that pick. Uh-huh. And he started to turn it on this year. He's got nine points in 11 games. And I think he's got like five points in his last two games. And, and like he's just like another kind of Sam, or not Sam, geez, Max Jones type uh, type pick. Like a, again, and along the same lines of, of Mason McTavish, like just a big kid who has a good shot, and and he's you know he's got kind of the intangibles to be a good NHL player. He's not going to be a superstar, but he's one of those guys you'd love to have in your roster. And like I just uh, you know imagine a line of like a McTavish, Max Jones, Sam Colangelo just go out there and like just beat the shit out of you every night. <laughs> and are actually skilled players and, and can put the puck in the back of the net. Like, it's just great to have those guys in the system. Um, you know, they're, they're the type of players that everybody looks for at some point when they're make, looking to make that, that next step from being a really good team to a Stanley Cup contender. There's these guys that are tough to play against, that have some size, that have skill. And, and the Ducks have done a good job of bringing players like that into their roster that they don't have to go out and give Barkley Goodrow $3.6 million for six years like the Rangers did, right, like to, to solve a problem. Well, that's the thing, right? You want Barkley Goodrow already in the system. Yeah, exactly. You want to have, you, you have a nice mix of these players, and, and, and that's the one thing that it seems like the Ducks have done really well is is just drafting a nice mix of players that you can see you yeah. can see how they'll mesh together at some point and just give you a lot of variety when you think okay Zegers's skill and Perot's shot and 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 his his skill along with that as well and you know the the speed and skating of Zellweger and Drysdale the blue line but then you've got guys like Henry Thrun that are coming up that are big and rangy and mobile and and then up front, you know, Pastorov again with, with his uh, playmaking ability and his shot. And then you've got guys like Jones and McTavish and Colangelo that you brought in to be, you know, again, still good NHL players, but bring that size and that edge to the game that you don't have to go out and get these players. Not all of them are going to hit, but you've drafted enough of these guys at high spots that they should at least be NHL players. And, and, and I just I just think they've done a really, really good job of, of bringing in different types of players to the roster that are to the roster of the future that you see on competitive teams, you know, different kind of array of guys that you, you can see where they would fit if all things panned out on a Stanley cup contending team. Yeah. You know, for all the talk about that, Barkley Goudreau, uh, what was it? Barkley Goudreau, Yanni Gordon, Blake Coleman line. Like for, for all that talk about all those things like that, like they also had Tyler Johnson and Andre Palat and, you know, Braden points like four and a half feet tall. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, they, it, it, like you said, it's, it's very, it's, God damn it, DB. Um, <laughs> you got me with that, Josh Allen. Um, it, it's important to have a variety, right? Because you're going to need different guys to play different roles. You're going to need different skill sets, but you, you're also going to need to not, like, you need to be able to move guys around and ask guys to do different things. And, you know, by, by having all these different types of players, it allows you to do that. Yeah. And, and it's the one thing, and like, listen, I, I think LA has done an excellent job. I like their, their prospect pool. I think it rivals the ducks as being one of the, one of the best in the league. But when I, 
the one thing I, I give the Ducks an edge on over the Kings is, is just the variety of players they brought in. I, I think the Kings have drafted some excellent players. I think a lot of what they've done is focused on kind of one or two types of guys, and they've just kind of brought in those players. Uh, and, and it'll probably pan out for them because they brought in so many of them that it should just eventually work out by, you know, kind of just the, the, the numbers of the game. Like, it's just going to work out because they've they've had so many good picks. But it's a lot of the same type of guys, and I think the Ducks have done a really good job of of uh, kind of sprinkling that around and, and bringing in different players. And uh, I want to mention a comment in the chat from Brizzle. He said, what about future Duck Brandon Brisson referencing our uh, our Kessler conversation from uh, the last podcast where we said uh, if the the golden knights want to bring in kessler's contract they can they can definitely send us brendan brisson add to that prospect yeah, pool they can send us anything they can send us all sorts of fun things i uh am not gonna be upset about that um yeah hey did you see jack Perbix's brother made the u.s olympic team i did not that's awesome. Unless there's another kid out there with the last name Perbix completely unrelated. I know he ha- I know he has a brother, but I can't remember where he was playing. But yeah, there's a kid on the on the Olymp- that made the Olympic team made uh made named Perbix. I thought that was cool. Waiting for um Canada's roster to be announced to see if McTavish is is gonna go or not. Um that's an interesting one and whether he actually decides to go or or if I don't I yeah. don't know if Ham. I don't think Hamilton has to loan him, um, and, and maybe that weighs into his decision. Like apparently Hamilton was his destination that he wanted to go to. Maybe that weighs in, and Peterborough apparently left um, some assets on the table to send him there. So maybe Hamilton is a team that's willing to let him go to the Olympics. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see with that. But uh, he plays tomorrow for for Hamilton too, which uh, it's uh, if you saw the goal he scored on Tuesday. Uh, he's having a pretty good, pretty good time there. <laughs> it's uh, just, I mean, it's an overpowering shot for a kid who's probably like 18 years old to face a shot like that. It's just not fair. Just wound up and wired a wish, a wrist shot past him. Um, he had two points in that game. He's playing on the line with um, Montreal Canadiens prospect Yan Misak and uh seattle seattle kraken prospect ryan winterden who was making his debut and he had five points in that game so it's gonna be a gonna be a pretty fun line to watch i was hoping deep down in my heart that maybe he would go to guelph and play with pasture up but i'll take this yeah. i'll take this and and um, hamilton has some really nice jerseys so i might have to snatch myself one of those <laughs> yeah i you know i think another name you mentioned just from conversations i've had with you that i i'm kind of interested in is sean Shagirl. yeah uh, and what kind of player he can be if he can develop into that kind of bottom six two-way winger stuff like that. I think that would be cool. So yeah, he's been a really you know, dangerous the... guy on the on the penalty kill. Um, reminds me, like I mean, like just in that sense of like a Andrew Cogliano, right, being a threat uh, on on the yeah. uh, as a shorthanded threat. Uh, he's yeah, he has a good year. He's, I, I, the only thing for me is he just hasn't. Um, like Braden Tracy, he didn't hasn't taken that step forward yet in the WHL. Like he was a point per game last year, he's a point per game this year. It's like you're waiting for that step up of you know being a play driving guy. But some guys aren't that. Like listen, it's worked out for Braden Tracy, right? Like he he's taking a little yeah. bit longer to get there, but he's uh, he, I mean he's proven it this year in the AHL that you just you take some time for some of these guys. They're not all going to be Zegerses. They're not all going to be. You know, guys that just immediately jump through the levels and and get right to the NHL. 
yeah, no, it's, you know, there everybody's on different timelines and it's hard to say. I mean, look, we were talking about it the other day, like we were talking to uh, Byron on Twitter about it, about the fact that, you know, some players hit star producer status by his metrics, like post 30, um, you know, Chara, Giordano, uh, I think it was Martin St. Louis technically. Yep. Um, you know, so like it just it, it takes a bunch of luck, and I think that's the thing is Anaheim has put them in a position to get as much of a lucky bounce as they can. So you have a question in the chat. I'm not a huge um, football guy, but uh, who are your picks for, or who are you pulling for in the NFL playoffs? Uh, I'll say like I kind of like the Rams because I like a couple of the guys on that team. Like I really like Jalen Ramsey. I really like Cooper Cup and all that stuff. But I think at, at my heart, my most chaotic answer is the Bengals. Yeah, I you know what? Like I just I just like that team a little bit. I like the. I'm I'm super down for Joe Burrow to show yeah, up. That would be that, awesome. That would be good. I like I like, I like the young teams, the up and coming teams. Like I don't watch a lot of football, so when I see like Tom Brady and the the Buccaneers you know run in teams out of the building like yeah. i just i just, just don't want to see that uh again and again same with like aaron Rodgers in green bay i know shane's gonna hate me for that one but like just watching these these teams that are always good kind of keep going like it, it's like that for me in, in sports i don't watch a lot like i don't i don't want to see the same teams there every year uh, which right. is, I mean, selfish of me for a sport that I barely watch. But uh, I would like to see Cincinnati do well. And then a lot of um, a lot of people around here, a lot of people that I know are, are big Buffalo Bills fans because it's the closest team to uh, to Canada. Good, so I would, I would like to see them do well, strictly just because I know a lot of people who would be happy with uh, the Bills doing well. So. And I guess, to, mm. I guess uh, D.B. Lowry said Josh Allen is a, a Duck super fan, apparently. Is he? Right. I have no idea. <laughs> I don't. I can never tell what DB says is true. He's just throwing shit in there for. Um, but yeah. So, well, how's it? What almost two hour? Yeah. Tower run we've done. Yeah. yeah. We sp- actually spent time on what we meant to cover this time, and uh, except we uh, <laughs> we were gonna have Cam Fowler on, but we're gonna have to push this one to the next show. Sorry, yeah. didn't have time for Cam Fowler today. So. Sorry, he'll be on next. Yeah, we'll just we'll get him we'll keep, we'll keep uh we'll keep pushing off us talking about how much we love Cam Fowler to the next show. So <laughs> God. Sorry. Oh my goodness. Right, I'm gonna well, I'm gonna end it here after just looking at this image that uh Jason sent us in our group chat. Oh no. Of uh <laughs> Vander Kane and, and Connor McDavid. Oh, with the Gahart, yeah. yeah. Stupid. I'm gonna leave it here. So but uh, yeah, thanks for everybody that stuck around for almost two hours. We like to every now and then get out some of these shows. Um, we were gonna do a Patreon show today, but then we hadn't done a mailbag in a while, so we wanted to answer some Holy of your shit. questions. What? The Blue Jackets beat the Canes six. I know. I have Freddie Anderson in fantasy hockey, so I'm well aware. Sucks. He got shelled for four tonight, but it was tough. That's- Dude, that rocks. Um, game tomorrow, Ducks play the Minnesota Wild. No, um, no Joel Erickson. Maybe no Kirill Kaprizov. Uh, he uh, has been cleared from his injury, but the Wild have a lot of COVID protocol issues, and he's only practiced once, so he might not play. So it could be a, an e- easier matchup for 
the Ducks with no er- Eric Snack and no Kaprizov. Still a really good team. It's going to be a tough matchup tomorrow. Um, and then they play Saturday. Is it Saturday too, or is it Sunday? I think it's. I can't. I think it's Saturday. So Saturday. I've gotten so bad at knowing the schedule. Saturday against. Um, yeah, it's back to back. Saturday against Chicago. So Friday against Minnesota, Saturday against Chicago, and I imagine we will be uh, live with the show on Sunday. I think Pat said he could potentially make this one, uh, but we're still we're yeah. Still, I think Pat wants to do Sunday. Yeah. We're, we're we'll still see. figuring that out. Uh, I know Pat's pretty busy, so we're gonna see if we can if we can do that or not. Jason was under the weather for our last show, so hopefully he'll be feeling a little bit better and have some time to to uh, put one together but we will be live this weekend whether it's just me and steven or, or all of us together we'll we'll be doing a show uh on sunday yep. to recap the uh those two games and the games from earlier this week and any news that comes out uh brett just mentioned the chat the prospect update we are still working no. on that we we could have recorded one but we want to get a guest on for that we want to get um cam robinson from elite prospects on to talk about um, a lot of the top number one Mason McTavish fan. Yeah, exactly. He's driving the bus. Sweet. So, we got to bring him on. And I really want to talk to him about McTavish. So if we can get a hand on that, we'll figure yeah, it out. So and then uh, that's yeah. where that one's kind of been. Um, we've been just kind of waiting for a time that works for Cam to jump on with us and, and record one. Uh, we've, we've talked a little bit that if it keeps getting pushed back and pushed back and pushed back, we'll, we'll probably just do one. Um, so, you know, for the sake of, we said we were going to do one every month and we haven't, <laughs> we haven't done one in a couple months. Um, so yeah. So if, uh, if we have to keep pushing it back, we'll just do one and then we'll get, uh, we'll get cam on at the end of the year and do kind of a recap of the ducks prospects and look forward at the draft and kind of couple it in that way. So it is coming soon. Um, yeah, he'll definitely have more time at the busiest part of his year. Hey, we, well, the, the last time I had him on the show, he was at the airport after the draft. And he agreed to come no on. Shit. So he's a, a great guy for that one. So. Oh, he's a stand-up guy yeah. for real. Yeah. Um, and then we have more Patreon stuff planned. I I know we've well, we've always been kind of shitty about getting content on there. Uh, we, for me personally, like if we're gonna do a, a pucks and brews. I want to get at least three of us, if not all of us, on for those. I feel bad if we don't get to do that. I feel like it's not doing that show justice to not have all of us, if not at least three of us. So it's been tough to get us all together to do those with some of the things going on personally for a lot of us. Um, so, you know, at the very least, if we can't do a Pucks and Brews, Steven and I have like a thousand ideas of different Patreon shows. Whether you will you like them or not, we'll see. But we've got uh, a bunch of ideas that we're going to record uh, upcoming uh, in the next couple of weeks here. We're going to try and, and, you know, schedule some of these and just record them out and nail down a bunch of them and release them when we can. Um, so we'll, we'll get doing that. If you guys have any ideas, I know we're, we're on a public show here, but if uh, any of our Patreon members, I know Brett's in the chat and a few other people, if you have any ideas and I'll put this in the discord too, of shows you want to hear us, anything you want to talk about, whether it's ducks related or not, just throw it in the discord, let us know. And we'll, and we'll, we'll get recording it. Uh, cause we want to, we want to put some more content on there for you guys. Uh, cause we've been a bit behind on that, but, uh, again, appreciate everybody who came out tonight for a long show. We'll be back on, Sunday with the weekly show and Ducks Morning Brew should return on Monday if all things go well and the Ontario government actually allows kids to go back to school. Ducks Morning Brew will be back for its long-awaited return on Monday, which I'm looking forward to. That'll be fun to get back to that. Yeah, dude, that was a that was a highlight. It was nice to have that, you know, in the morning and be like, oh, look at Eddie being so much more productive and better than the rest of us. <laughs> 
It's, I missed it, man. I, it was nice jumping on in the in the morning. And you miss talking. being alone, have, not having to deal with us fucking guys. Yeah, I, I miss uh, free time in the morning. <laughs> that's what I. <laughs> that's what I miss the most right now. But uh, but yeah, Ducks Morning Brew will return. We'll be back this weekend, hopefully with uh, with Pat and Jason, if not one of them. Uh, more Patreon content on the way. Uh, but I'll I'll shut up now because I'm rambling. And uh, enjoy the game tomorrow, guys, and we'll see you on Sunday. Bye, everybody.